Season one of the Building a Vibrant Community podcast is sponsored by a grant from Southern SARE, Sustainable Agriculture Research and Education. Welcome to the Building a Vibrant Community podcast, where we help people discover new ways to make their communities vibrant communities. Welcome to the podcast. I'm James Barnes, along with my co-host, Rachel Carter. Hey, everybody. And Lauren Colby Nichols. Hey, y'all. And we have a special guest today, don't we? We have a local business owner who has a food business just opened, and it's called Proof Bakery. Robbie Kowitz is going to be joining us on the podcast. And I've got lots of questions, guys. I, I, I'm looking forward to this. What, what are you guys looking forward to hearing from Robbie? Um, well, I think that I've got to meet him in his bakery earlier, and he refers to himself as a serial entrepreneur. So I'd like to see, as a Starkville native, what he's been involved with and how he got the idea for the bakery and all that good stuff. Yeah, and just all the things he's involved in when he says serial. Yeah, he right? must have done a lot. Yeah. What about you, Rachel? Uh, I'm just really interested into knowing. I know he's been very successful with a lot of initiatives, and I want to know what are some of those things that, that can make a small business owner be successful? What contributes to being successful in, in a small rural market? Yeah, what are the best practices he followed and things of that nature. We all, we all have a lot more questions than that, and uh, we're looking really forward to the interview. So let's not wait any longer. Let's get into the interview with Robbie Koblitz for Proof Bakery here in Starkville, Mississippi. Robbie Koblitz, welcome to the podcast. We have lots of questions for you. Yeah, well, let's start. So we'll jump in. I was born at an early age. Yep, we're going to have to fast forward a little bit. Do you want to go <laughs> that far back? So Yeah, thanks for having me on. Uh, it's good to have you here. We want to talk about the food business that you've opened here in Starkville. And once you tell us a little bit about it, it's called Proof Bakery. Now, first of all, how did you come up with the name for that? And then just how did you guys get into the business in general? So Proof is a baking term. That is basically you take dough, you let it rise in a controlled environment overnight, and you're proofing the dough. It's a controlled rise. So as we were naming the bakery, we looked through a bunch of lists. You know, there's a list for everything on the Internet. If right. it's on the Internet, it must be true. And so I think on that third 100 names for a bakery list, there was proof. It's like, oh, okay, that's kind of cool. So my, my prerequisites for you wanted it short, pronounceable. You wanted it to have a sophistication to it. And you wanted it to be an actual baking term that some folks would know, but not necessarily everybody would know. And so proof fit the bill. Right. Yeah. Interesting. So when you came up with the name of the bakery, now it's you and your wife, Bonnie, who are running this or have the business. So, so how do you how do you function? How do you operate this thing day to day? So let's go back to the beginning, not all the way to the beginning. So just a little bit of background on what I do. And uh uh, so I'm a TV producer by trade. So I've been in the production business for 20-odd years. I also co-own an advertising agency. So we do uh, video, we do advertising, we do marketing. And uh, my wife and I have two boys, uh, David, who's a senior in high school, and Mark, who's a junior in high school, uh, which you would think, what has that got to do with a bakery? Well, so our, our junior, Mark, is a kid chef. Um, Mark uh, has been cooking at a very early age. Mark ended up on Food Network's Chop Junior. He was on the pilot episode of that, made it all the way to the end. What a great experience. We got to go to New York um, and, and experience that for a few days. We bring Mark back home, and so we start doing YouTube videos. And so the persona of Mark the Chef is born. Um, a few months later, Mark ends up at an open casting call for Master Chef Junior. 
ends up on MasterChef Junior Season 5. He and my wife go to L.A. for six weeks living the dream. Most folks know MasterChef Junior is the one with Gordon Ramsay, the right, British right. chef who throws things yes. and, and cusses. And he's a little <laughs> bit better with the kids, but not by much. Uh, phenomenal experience for Mark. Again, Mark likes culinary. He wants to be a chef. And so we get back from that. Mark continues. We, we continue doing videos. We continue doing Mark the Chef type of things. I've always wanted to do a food television show. I pitched Food Network 15 years ago, kind of a tailgating football show. Yeah. Sent it in unsolicited, never heard from them. So who knows? <laughs> you know, maybe sitting in a pile somewhere. Uh, so I've always been really interested in culinary. But as we know, a restaurant, especially a sole proprietorship type of restaurant, that's a lifestyle choice. Right, you know, right. um, And the profit margin's not very good. The hours are grueling. I was never that interested in a, in a restaurant. So fast forward. Uh, we've got a kid who's a chef. We do a TV show for Mississippi Public Broadcasting called Making a Chef that we produce. We, uh, we're about to crank up producing season three. And in that show, Mark goes out and he uh, visits with chefs, food artisans, whatnot, and they teach him something. So um, through Making a Chef, we've done a lot of culinary video, and we've gotten to know a lot of food people in the area and across the state. And one of those people was T.J. Manna. T.J. is a pastry chef. Uh, she'd been with Dorigo's Bread, which became Grain Elevator, which was a small bakery here in Starkville. And uh, so T.J. came on and did a cooking segment uh, with Mark, did a whole show about croissants and baking. And so we shot this, oh gosh, end of April, somewhere in that ballpark. So flash forward to now, um, Troy Dorigo, who had Dorigo's Breads, um, small craft bakery here in Starkville. Uh, Troy is a web designer by trade, had started this up. This, this bakery is kind of a Kickstarter idea. Um, went full time with it, uh, transitioned a couple times, but back in May decided, hey, I think I want a nine to five job. Mm-hmm. Ended up as a web designer back here at State. So we've gone all the way through that backstory. I go in to see Troy because I'm just kind of interested. What are you going to do? He's a buddy of mine, that sort of thing. So we get to talking. Um, I ask him what he's going to do with his equipment. He's got a four-deck oven. He's got a big stand mixer. All the things you need to create a baked product. Right. And he said, well, I'm looking for somebody to try to sell it to. You know, I don't want to take this stuff out. I mean, this this oven is, is, is huge. It's not going to fit through the door. We've got to take it out. And so I said, hey, well, why don't you tell me what you're looking for price-wise? Because we had tried to build a commercial kitchen a couple of years ago for rent as a standalone in one of the buildings we own. That, that didn't business plan out very well. Um, and so I, this was an idea for me to say, hey, what could we do with this? Because I'm a serial entrepreneur. I love starting businesses and developing businesses. So go home to Bonnie and say, hey, what do you think about us opening a bakery? A little bit of silence. She's like, well, <laughs> that could be kind of fun. So yeah. um, go back to Troy, get a great price on the equipment. Uh, but I made a phone call to TJ Manor, this master baker had been on Making a Chef. She's been around town for a while. She'd worked at City Bagel, 99 Coffee, mm-hmm. Dorigo's Bread, just an incredibly talented baker. Um, and uh, asked TJ, we had a meeting, would you be interested You know, coming on to be our, our chief baker and to manage this thing for us? Because neither Bonnie or I have culinary experience in that regard. And she's like, absolutely, this would be so much fun. So um, we're talking middle of June, uh, end of June, we, we 
purchase the assets from Troy. Um, we take over his lease. The landlord's a buddy of mine. He was thrilled that we were going to continue a bakery there. So we got a great lease from him. And um, we proceeded to a soft opening uh, August the 2nd. So we put this bakery together in about eight to 10 weeks, uh, complete remodel inside, um, formed an LLC. Uh, you know, we had the equipment in place, but what we are doing is completely different than what Troy had done. And we had to create this new persona. We had to create this new environment and uh, introduce a new product to the market. Right. What's the, uh, I know there were probably at least one or two challenges you faced along the way as you put all this together. A, the timeline is really, really fast. Yeah, it's that's, insane. That's, that's, that's yeah. really, really fast. I'm kind of a moron for uh, that. So. <laughs> but other than the timeline, which you seem to have adapted really well, what what were the biggest challenges that you faced? So, uh, you know, with any food-based business, if you're going into mass production like this, open to the public, you've got to have someone who's going to be surf safe certified. Um, then once you've got that, that manager who has been, um, who's been certified to be able to manage food for sale to, uh, to the public, you've got to have an inspection for your kitchen with the Mississippi Health Department to be certified as a commercial kitchen. And uh, then you've got all the rest of the things like forming an LLC, um, setting up payroll, getting your uh, employer EIN, employer identification number for the IRS, set up for sales tax, all that. Uh, then you've got the marketing side of it. So if you're a sole proprietor trying to do all that, that is such a huge load. Um, we were able to divide the uh, responsibilities by three people. Uh, TJ is our baker. TJ is incredibly talented. So she was concentrating on the intellectual property, if you will. Mm -hmm. What recipes work? What can we do within facility? Um, how can we ramp up to get out at certain times? She's working on menu. Um, she's got experience with ordering ingredients. The whole so really idea. product development. I mean, yeah, that's, that's exactly. our whole thing. At the end of the day, product development. Um, Bonnie uh, ended up taking, doing a crash course in the Surf Safe Manager Certification. Um, got the book like on a Wednesday, took the text the next Thursday through the extension service, drove to Water Valley, and, uh, you know, ended up with a 95. So she aced that. And then from from my aspect of it, I'm, I'm kind of the CEO. Um, I'm doing marketing. I'm coming up with logo, web, social media handles, all that stuff, and all the PR aspects of it. So um, any one of those things in and of itself, if it's piled on to one person, is challenging. Um, it wasn't easy for us, but we were able to move very quickly because we were able to divide that. Add on top of that the, the physical remodeling we did to the space. We came in, we repainted. We did a different layout. We ripped out all the fluorescent lights, all these ugly blue lights you see in places like this. We put in nice warm lights, track lighting. Um, I light things and shoot things for a living, so I'm very particular about light. And uh, so we added all these finishes in. Um, to create a warm opening environment. Mm -hmm. And uh, so anyway, if, if I was doing this by myself, there's no way I would have done a serve safe certification and had anything above a 60 with a week, <laughs> uh, with a week study. I mean, my yeah. wife is great at stuff like that. Uh, I'm a serviceable cook. I am not an extraordinary baker like TJ is. Um, so it, there's just, again, it's a complete team effort. And uh, it's been incredibly fun to watch this thing come together like that. Well, tell us a little bit about the products themselves. I mean, you know, you talked about product development. 
uh, tell us a few things. What What's the bakery? What do you want it to be known for? Like, what's the one thing you're after? Well, number one, it's the worst thing to own if you try to do a low-carb diet. So <laughs> your diet goes yeah. out the window. That's so um, as we were looking to put this thing together, there, there was kind of an interesting confluence of events. Uh, a longtime restaurant here in town, City Bagel, um, decided after a 20-plus year run, they, they closed their doors. Um, and so all of a sudden that local kind of bakery eatery with that, that kind of Austin, Texas vibe mm-hmm. was gone. Mm-hmm. And uh, so what we joke around that the reason we started Proof Bakery is because of TJ's chocolate croissants. Unbelievable product. She hand rolls everything. It's an incredible product. Um, and there's a little element of truth to that. To me, her croissants are our signature item. Uh-huh. But you it's so time intensive. Uh, we can only do croissants on two days, Wednesdays and Saturdays. Um, so that kind of limits us for from a, a mass production standpoint. Uh, so we were looking for another product to drop in. And so bagels were a natural fit. Um, we hired someone who had experience at City Bagel. We implemented a whole new recipe, completely d- different than City Bagels. And I love what City Bagel did. Our, our bagels are done fresh every morning. There's no preservatives or anything in them. So they're done at the end of the day. They end up as bagel chips the next day. So um, it's just a different product than what City Bagel was doing. So again, if you're looking at a strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, threat analysis, that was a huge opportunity for us. And City Bagel closed was probably my last decision fork to say, Mm -hmm. let's do this. So back up your question, what do we want to be known for? Uh, Quality artisan baked goods. And um, that's what we put out. Everything's made in shop fresh every day. And uh, the results, the, the, the results have been just amazing. The response has been incredible. Um, but the two must try items are croissants and any of the bagel flavors we put out every morning. And I'm guessing that Football games taking place and start will have to help. So, yeah, but, you know, what's really interesting, we did, and technically as we record this, we're in soft opening phase. So um, we'll, we'll end up doing a grand opening sometime in October. Uh, but we open August 2. Um, so this year with the Mississippi State home football schedule, it started September 9th, the second weekend in September. Traditionally, we open here Labor Day. Um, so we had basically five weeks of no football traffic to mm-hmm. kind of gauge on what was going on. Our August was unbelievable. And Saturdays have become our, our largest day by far. Um, Saturdays are probably close to 30% of our, of our week sale, 30 to 35% of our, our weekly sales. And we see huge crowds even without football games. What's interesting is um, we've created kind of a cool environment where we've got free Wi-Fi, we sell coffee, we've got tables, and it's all really well lit. Um, When there's not a football game, people come and linger. Mm-hmm. If there's a football game, folks come in, grab their stuff, and go. And take off, yeah. It's, it's nuts. Yeah. Uh, but, again, prior to football games, we had great sales numbers. We had great traffic. So um, this week is going to be interesting because, again, as we record this, we've just had three home football games in a row, right. which skews your catering and to-go order somewhat. So it's going to be interesting to see what we come up with this week. You're also doing something uh, unique and supportive in, a, in the local economy, too. You're, you're offering a coffee that's actually based in Startwell. 
Actually, we're offering three coffees. Three coffees. Three coffees. So, um, you know, one of the things we want to do is make sure we're doing a locally grown, locally produced product there. Um, And so we started with local coffee. So Kenneth Thomas, who, again, comes back to making a chef. And Mark, we did a couple of coffee episodes for this last season of the show. Um, And so Kenneth, his commercial operation is, is literally four miles up the road from my studio. So he was our first call for coffee. Uh, it's a great product. He does a, a really nice roast, a couple of different varieties. Um, so he's our he's our stock house coffee. There are two other roasters here in town. One is Jitter Beans, which came out of the E-Center, the Entrepreneur right, Center right. here at Mississippi State. And then uh, Blair Edwards with the People's Cup Micro Roastery. Um, he's based in the middle of the Cotton District. He is roasting artisan small batches as well. So we're getting coffee from him. So uh, we've got that humble pot every day, but we're also brewing jitter beans or people's cup, depending on the day, alternating. On Saturday mornings, we're going to have all three running. Oh, so. yeah. You'll need it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Man, it's, uh, you know, I, I don't know who drinks more coffee, the the guys who get in early in the morning to bake or the folks who come to eat the stuff that they bake. <laughs> so. But um, we really wanted to push local products. We're talking with a local honey vendor. Um, there are a couple of other products we're looking to add in. Um, so anyway, yeah, that's been fun. So you mentioned having one of the um, coffee roasters on your show. Do you shoot all of your shows at the bakery? No, no, we haven't shot anything at the bakery. So we have a full, um, we've got a 10,000 square foot building that we own. We've got a full thousand square foot studio. I've got a standing kitchen set in the studio. That being said, we're looking to do a couple of things at the bakery for season three. Um, one of the things we've talked about is actually doing um, documenting a pop-up restaurant with Mark and TJ and making three episodes with that. So we've got the planning phase, we've got the test phase, and we've got the execution phase. Uh, you know, our auxiliary reason to start this bakery, to pull this bakery in, is to give Mark an opportunity to uh, do some pop-ups. He, he, he bakes pies, cakes, come holiday season. Uh, he does king cake, so we'll bring Mark the Chef product into the bakery. And Mark has a little bit different following. And it's been kind of cool because TJ's got a great following. Mark's got a great following. Uh, the circles that Bonnie and I operate are, are different than those two. So it's it's this cornucopia of people coming in that's kind of kind of neat to watch. So, Robbie, this is Rachel. Um, I have a question for you. Uh, you describe yourself as a serial entrepreneur, and I can definitely respect that. I think that's awesome. But I want to know... Um, to be a serial entrepreneur, you have to be a successful entrepreneur, and I know that you are that. What would you say are some of those factors that our listeners might think about to increase their chances of success if they're going to jump into being an entrepreneur? So just a couple things. These are things I've picked up through the years and other folks have told me. Cash flow is everything. So um, it doesn't matter how hard you're working. Uh, if you don't have the cash flow coming through where you can pay your bills and manage your, your employee payroll, um, it's, it's difficult. Um, one time I had someone tell me that the best money you could ever spend as a small business owner is on a good accountant and a good lawyer. Um, and it pays to know those people. Um, and then the other thing is you've got to realize what, what transitions from a hobby to a small business. Um, I've seen a lot of folks, they, they do photography on the side or they do baking or whatever. They're creating something as a hobby on the weekend and they think, oh, I could just do this full time and this would be a great job. It's fun for the first little bit, but you realize you've lost your hobby and your hobby has become work and it becomes difficult. So um, make sure your idea scales up and make sure it's an idea you're not going to get 
tired of. Um, one of the things that we've got going for us with the bakery is um, so many times when somebody goes into business for themselves or transitioning from another job and they've got to pull a paycheck, we don't need income replacement with this business. So I draw a salary from Broadcast Media Group. I draw stuff from Telos, the, create, the uh, ad agency, um, financially. So I've got other interests that are paying the bills at home. So I don't have to have income replacement. Um, so it's managing cash flow. Don't grow too fast. Um, you know, cancer in the human body is when cells grow abnormally fast, and it's fatal. You know, it can be fatal. Uh, unplanned, unmanaged growth in a small business is just as fatal. And you think, oh, man, I'm making it. I've got to expand. I've got to do X, Y, and Z. And you grow too fast, and you can't fulfill your customer service responsibilities. Things fall through the cracks, and then you go into this tailspin. So don't grow too fast. Make sure you understand cash flow. Learn how to read a balance sheet and a profit loss. And that sounds just really boring. But at the end of the day, uh, that is the, the health of your business. Learn QuickBooks um, and realize that the work part of a small business is not doing what you love, but it's managing everything else. Um. One other question I want to ask you, um, I get a lot of folks who come through our doors who are thinking about starting a business with just one product. And you mentioned that your your business does offer some local products. If someone was to go out and try to build relationships with people that they want to buy their product to then resell, what sh- what are things they should think about doing to make it to make it easy and to make somebody want to carry their product? So I don't know the answer to that question because I'm on the front end of that of that exploration right now. So um Again, I've got a long-time history in small business as a, as a television producer, professional services, creative services. The food business is completely different, and it's a little head-scratching at times. And um, at the end of the day, uh, number one, have a good product. Number two, do what you say you're going to do. Show up when you say you're going to show up. Ship when you say you're going to ship. And uh, make sure you're following through. I, I've seen a lot of non-follow through in this industry and um, kind of across the board, which has been kind of, you know, whether it's vendors wanting to buy stuff or wanting you to buy stuff from them or, uh, hey, yeah, let's talk about doing X, let's talk about doing Y, and there's not a lot of follow through. So I would say, number one, you got to have a good product. Know what the market for your product is when you walk in the door. Um, Say, you know, you need to have probably three instances of how are you going to sell this product, what's the profit margin like, and how can it help your your end user, your customer there. So you need to do some of the heavy lifting as you're marketing your, your service. Um, you know, don't, don't be annoying. Um, and so I, I want to be reminded, I want to be introduced, but I don't want you to be overbearing as a potential vendor. Mm-hmm. Um, and keep in mind that for me personally, I'm incredibly busy. Um, and I don't mind, I'm going to get to you when I can get to you. I'm running other businesses, but don't take a delay in response as the end of the world. So persistence is good. Um, but again, do what you say you're going to do. Um, okay. So I want to talk about how you went about estimating the potential for cash flow. Now, I mean, you mentioned it's so important, and it is. 
How did you go about estimating the demand for the kinds of products that you're going to serve in the bakery? How did you do that? So we're actually in the middle of doing that right now as well. So I came in, uh, and again, Troy DeRigo, i got to do another shout-out for Troy. Troy didn't necessarily let us look at his books, but he gave us some great estimations. And um, we were very fortunate that Troy had done the hard work in and of that he had associated that location, which is uh, 109 West Main Street, um, with quality baked goods. So we've already got that association going on. Location, location, location. Right. But, you know, you've got to train people to expect a certain product at that location. So that, that groundwork had been done. Uh, Troy gave us some guidance on numbers of when he opened up, you know, approximations of, of, of monthly sales. So I used those numbers and kind of backed out everything. Um, you know, 20 to 25% of, of your gross income is going to go to ingredients. Um, that's been pretty consistent at this point. You know what your rent's going to be. Uh, we guessed on power. Again, from Troy, based upon running that equipment for a few years, we looked at, um, we estimated hours for personnel. Uh, originally, we, we went into it thinking we would have a full-time salaried baker, uh, manager, and then we would have a part-time person. So I built out a couple of scenarios where, okay, I've got one and a half FTEs, full-time equivalents. All right, let's look at how much we're going to need for two FTEs. And then let's look at three or two and a half and three. So Excel is your best friend there. You're able to run those numbers. And so we generated a number that got us pretty close to what was our break-even point. Um, and then we've got some debt service, the, the debt on the original note. Uh, we've got some capital expenses that we're expensing out for probably take into 2020 as well. So, um, and, and then you need to add 15 to 20 percent beyond that number for just the stuff you don't think about. Um, you know, if you've got an oven that goes down, do you, have right. a, do you need to add another fridge in? Uh, what happens if your AC goes out, depending on your lease arrangement with your landlord? Um, so, you know, I, I've learned a long time ago, you've got to add that 15 to 20 percent as kind of a cushion. Mm -hmm. And that works out fa fairly well. Um, I will say this, uh, you back out capital expenses, we've been profitable from day one. Now, we're still in that honeymoon period. And right. so talking to restauranteurs, uh, friends of mine, they said, you know, you've got about a two to three month honeymoon period, and then you're going to drop probably to 70 to 80 percent of that. We haven't seen that yet. It's continued to grow week over week. Um, so it's we're still in that first 60, 90-day window as well. well. There'll be a lot of effort put into advertising, too, and staying active on social media. So which, which uh, most businesses can only really run, especially a solo entrepreneur, one channel, maybe two, on social media. So what's the primary one? for Proof Bakery and where are you putting your emphasis at? So Instagram has been phenomenal for us. We cranked up that Instagram account. It's, uh, I'll pull it up. I think it's Proof Bakery STA. Um, we pulled up that account, gosh, early on. Um, I'm going to say we probably built that third week of July. We are almost at 1,000 followers here 12 weeks later. Um, it's all organic. There's nothing paid. Um, TJ, every morning when she's got um, 
croissants, bagels, whatever the cool thing that she's doing for the day. She does incredible cakes. She's got an incredibly creative eye from a photography standpoint. And so if you our Instagram feed is stuff that we have done there and we get so many likes, uh, so many comments. So Instagram's been number one. Uh, of course, Facebook owns Instagram. You've got some pretty strong channels there. So whatever you're going to hit on Instagram, you can publish straight through to Facebook. Uh, Facebook is secondary. Fun fact for you, do you realize that Facebook would not allow you to put the word proof in a business page name? I did not know that. So uh, I tried every version of Proof Bakery available, and it came down to, for, for the Facebook page yeah, name, yeah, yeah. Uh, I could not put proof in. So we ended up as Startville Bakery, which is, you know, generic enough. Yeah, so I, I would like to petition Facebook at some point to say, hey, you know, we're not running a liquor store. Right. Uh, right. You know, you can look at our Instagram page and see everything associated. And th- the joke has been, if we can't make bagels, we'll just bring in some liquor and just, we'll we'll keep the name and logo, but just and change. Just keep it going. Yeah, it there you go. That's there product go. development, too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But so it's um, Instagram primary, then Facebook. Facebook. Twitter's a, a tertiary, uh, probably third place for us. Um, our primary demographic seems to be uh, female from from 19 to 55. Um, it's a niche product. We've got a lot of guys who come in, but the reactions on Instagram is primarily female. And we all know that Instagram trends female anyway. Uh, but the artwork on Instagram, the photos we're putting up have been uh, just just great. What about services like DoorDash and Uber Eats? I, I know are are those. Um, I wonder how those are going to come into play and how they could help you. So you know, one of the things that we've got um, supplies low, demands high. So a product like uh, a, a mobile delivery product is not a good fit for us at this point. Um, we're running croissants on two days a week. They're going to be sold out. Saturday morning, gosh, this last Saturday morning was an SEC football game. Kick was at 3 p.m. We were probably at, doors opened at 7:30. There were folks waiting. We probably sold out of croissants 8:25. Oh wow! Within an hour. <laughs> um, so yeah, there's great. nobody going to DoorDash with that. No, there's I mean, no, when you got fo- when you got folks yeah. lining up, it's yeah. crazy. It's absolutely crazy. Um, you know, our next evolution is going to be adding a lunch product in. Um, and I doubt we'll ever go past that two o'clock close because that's a real nice defined time for us. So, but I could see a delivery product coming in if we're doing a specialty lunch. We've talked about doing pizza, New York style pizza. Again, you look at the assets and the resources that you've got mm-hmm. in place. We've got a large four-deck oven that you will find all over New York City for New York-style pizza. So why not take um, your physical plant leverage in, in a different way? And I would love to do a pizza by the slice product where you're doing a pizza and a Coke for 3 bucks, mm-hmm. A lot like what you would find on the street corner in New York. Yeah. Um, you know, something like that. Uh, the mayor's been after us for a while to to explore that possibility. And Troy, when he before he went full crackers with with his transition, um, he did pizzas and folks lined up out the door. So uh, our our next two growth um, areas are going to be a lunch product, and uh, you know catering just continues to grow. Uh, cake orders have been. I mean, we've got a finite amount of cake orders we can do. Um, 
we've had to add an oven, another oven, a traditional commercial range. So you've already added an oven. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So a traditional commercial range, we're looking at a, uh, a dough sheeter to assist in the manual process of making the croissants. They'll be made by hand, but being able to put things through a dough sheeter, um, you know, TJ's rolling all this stuff out by hand, and it's, I mean, she's up there so late. She's doing a great job. Her product is unbelievable. Uh, but that will allow us to do some pizza and a few other things. So we're looking at trying, I'm trying to take my own advice and not overexpand quickly. Um, but again, I mean, we've not had a bakery like this in Starkville since I've been here uh, in the early 90s. Um, it's gourmet, it's artisan. We've had some great bakeries in town, but nothing quite like this. And um, so it's, it's, it's been fun, it's been interesting. So Robbie, how much involvement do, um, do Mark and David play in the bakery? So what's interesting is we, uh, the boys each go in an hour before school for that opening rush. We get them there at seven, they work to about 8.20. Uh, and so being brothers, they're best friends and worst enemies, so we do not schedule them simultaneously. <laughs> Um, so both boys are involved in football, high school football. David's on the film crew. Mark is the long snapper for the Sharpeville high school football team. So they're at practice every night. Um, so there's not much creation for Mark up there. Uh, so they're in a, in, in a service front, front of house capacity. Um, we've got to have additional people on Saturday mornings. So it's usually Bonnie and one of the boys who supplement on Saturday mornings because it's a madhouse. Um, so, yeah, they're ma- we're making them go in before school. The only thing that would be better if, if the bakery was at the top of the hill and we can make them walk, yeah. you know, to the hill, back and forth with the wind blowing snow, the whole life. Just a little adversity. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, just a little bit. Builds character, That's right. right. What's really funny <laughs> is when uh, we live, oh, about a third of a mile from the, from the elementary school uh, where the boys went to school. And so Bonnie would walk both boys to school. Um, and they walked all the time, snow, rain, ice, and you had to go up hills both ways. So my boys can say, when I was your age to their <laughs> kids, I had to walk to school up a hill both ways through the snow, the ice, the rain, the whole nine yards. Yeah, so it wasn't got, imagined. It's a real yeah, thing. Yeah, so they've got their character building experience You have passed already. on a very good trait for there you them go. to be able to tell. There you go. Well, Robbie, um, small businesses are such an important part of small towns and communities, but how important would you say is it impor- is it for a business owner to be engaged and be a part of their community? Because you've talked about a lot of relationship building and things sure. like that. How, how does that work? Well, you know, it, it's so incredibly important because if you're not, if you've not taken stock of the market and the market in a small community is the people, if you've not taken stock of the people and the needs, um, then you're not providing a product that someone's going to want to buy. So market research is so important. And so many times in small rural Mississippi, uh, the market's much smaller. Um, and you sometimes have a better feel for needs. Um, so it's, it's very important. It's very important that customer service is paramount. If we're in, in, in a large metro area like in Atlanta, in Nashville, in New York, or Boston, there's a lot of consumers for your product. Okay, So if you burn one bridge with a consumer, 
um, you can usually you can usually pull another consumer in, uh, even though it's harder now with social media. So, but in a small community, you burn a bridge, and you're you're cutting your nose off to spite your face. So, customer service is incredibly important, and making sure that experience is important as well. Uh, we've got a great atmosphere in there. Uh, we're welcoming people. It's a cool place to hang out. It's got a great vibe. So, it's important to us that people are happy. Um, we've had. Gosh, I think maybe two people who have left less than satisfied, and we've tried to make sure that they're taken care of. Um, you know, one was an older couple who was maybe expecting a different type of bakery, and they came very late in the day, and everything was sold out. And uh, this lady, bless her heart, is like, well, I just can't understand why you just can't go back there and make more croissants. It's like, ma'am, this is a three-day process. You know, everything leads up to this so um, it's incredibly important. It's incredibly important to um, not only make sure you're not burning those bridges, but that you've got an opening and welcoming space that all segments of the community can come to. And so how can communities be more business friendly? One of my good friends is Jeffrey Rupp, who's former mayor of Columbus. And I love Jeffrey's um, approach to economic development. He said when he was mayor, he wanted to be welcoming enough where businesses and i'm paraphrasing here where businesses um would want to do business but make it just difficult enough that you're doing things right okay so obviously you want a business friendly climate you want to make sure that you've got um your permitting all in one place you want to make sure that uh, your your public servants are showing up on time those are inspectors for health department uh, inspectors for building, um, those type of things. So as a, from a city standpoint, you want to make sure that your customer service on that side um, follows through. And we do a pretty good job of that here in Starkville. Um, it is so important for any um, city to spell out their regulations in a place that you can get to easily on their website. So I want to know where the signage uh, regulations are on the City of Starville website. City of Starville has done a great job with pointing those things out. They've got a list of these are your checklists. This is what you need to do, X, Y, and Z. So it would be great to for any community to sit there and say, okay, um, you know, here's the regulations. This is what we need you to do to take care of your end of the business to do to do business here. It's just about being clear, isn't it? It is. It, it's just be clear about what is expected. Don't change it on me, because if you do, i got to invest lots of more money. That's right. That's right. So, uh, you know, you've got to be frugal when you're opening a small business. Small businesses in Mississippi are usually mom-and-pop operations. And so you're planning out every dollar, every dime, every penny. And then if you're not clear, if you're not following through from a regulation standpoint, and I've got to move this conduit or this electrical line because, you know, your inspector who said it was fine is not the inspector doing the final inspection – then yeah, I mean, it, it makes it more difficult. So be clear and, and let me know what's expected. Don't move the goalpost on me. Yeah, there's so many lessons learned here, I think, for any business starting and opening you know, and running in a community like this. You know, we've talked about those things, how you've opened it, all these different things. The bakery is called Proof Bakery. And uh, here in Starr, we're right across from City Hall. That's that right. It's an and, easy way to find it, right? And from Pita Pit. So you can and come Pita to Pit. us for breakfast, and you could stay around to 2 in the morning for, for supper or late night And snack. go across the street. There That's you right. go. That's right. Robbie Cobus, thank you for being on the podcast. We have thoroughly enjoyed it. Thank you for having me. 
Well, that was a great interview with Robbie. Uh, I learned a ton of things about a food business, how to open one and run one. What about you guys? Well, I thought it was great uh, when he talked about cash flow. I know that that's important, but I didn't realize just exactly how important and that it's important not for just a food business, but for any type of business that you're thinking about doing is you've got to figure out how you're going to manage your cash flow, when, what bills are going to come in when, and, and how are you going to deal with them. Right. And he mentioned having to hire a good accountant and a lawyer and then having an exit strategy just so you've got all your ducks in a row. Yeah, and it was just inter- interesting for me to hear him talk about how they split the different tasks among the team. You know, you've got the chef who's focused on product development, but the chef's not doing marketing. Right. Right. And then and in his experience with broadcast media, helping to do the marketing for the bakery and then just and just knowing that getting his are, wife to do serve safe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She's doing that part. I mean, everything is kind of organized based on the strengths of the team. And that's a that's a fantastic way to organize. And then the early success that they've had uh, having people lined up, you know, outside their doors at 730 in the morning, Saturday morning. That's that's phenomenal. That's impressive. I mean, so things are going very well. We learned a lot about uh, Proof Bakery and how it's uh, taking root here in Starkville, Mississippi, in the community. And we really appreciate Robbie being on the show. And we're looking forward to learning a lot more about the local foods industry here in Mississippi on the next episode. So join us then. Thanks, everybody, for listening to the Building a Vibrant Community podcast, where we help people discover new ways to make their communities vibrant communities. Vibrant communities.